Today on Abounding Grace from Pastor Ed Taylor. Understand something. You have to be careful not to make your status in life your identity. The most important critical relationship in life is not with someone else, but rather with God, learning to abide in Christ. And that relationship must be solid first before you'll ever have a right relationship with another man or another woman. Singleness is a gift from God, a place and a position of great importance. This is amazing grace. Many singles feel like second-class citizens and struggle with feelings of discouragement and loneliness. They can't wait to walk down the aisle and get married and wonder why it hasn't happened already. Or they wonder if something is wrong with them because they don't have a desire to be married. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll see that the single years have God-ordained purpose and meaning and can be used to bring glory to the Lord. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor with more from our series, Family Matters. Take your Bibles, open them, would you please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And the Bible study today is entitled, Singles Matter. It is a Bible study on the topic of singleness. When we think of families, it's easy to jump right to it, right? We can immediately think, well, you know, husbands and wives and children, grandkids and kids. Why? Because that's typically how families have been defined. A lot of people are living in that type of family right now among us. You're, you're married, you have kids, you have grandkids. But as we've learned in our time together, biblical families come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. And perhaps the most popular family unit that is overlooked, neglected, and ignored is singleness. Singleness. I want you to consider for a second singleness. And as we begin to consider singleness, let me just start by saying, you that are single today listening to me, you are important to God. And you are a real family unit in the eyes of God. Singles in the church and in the world today matter. And singleness is a lot more prevalent than we give it credit. While not everyone will be married, everyone is or has been single. I want you to consider that. When you, think of, when you think of marriage, not everyone in the room right now is married. Not everyone will be married. But all of us, even if we are married in this moment, all of us, every single person has experienced and lived a form of singleness. Not everyone will be married, but everyone has lived in a season of singleness. Now, some of you are in your 20s or 30s and you haven't been married before. Others are a little older, perhaps even younger. Maybe among a few among us are divorced. For you, for some, singleness is a very tender subject for a variety of painful reasons, including widowhood and widowers among us. But it is a common thread. We either have been or are single. So whether you're single, divorced, or widowed, 
Singleness is a real and valuable, important role in the lives of our culture and the life of this church in particular. And when you carefully study the Bible, you'll be shocked and surprised to consider that many of the men and women God used in the Bible were single at the time they were used. It was in their single season that God chose to raise them up and elevate them into a place of ministry and use in his hands. And I want you to consider this, if you've never considered this before. Jesus Christ himself lived his entire life as a single man. And of course, God the Father using Jesus Christ in great, amazing ways. So let me start, as we kind of lay this out, let me start with an apology. An apology. For those of you that are single, please forgive us. Forgive those of us in the church. Forgive our culture or whomever it may have been that makes it sound like you're unimportant. And I know our society is greatly structured around couples and relationships. And you can even feel that at times within the church structure. But singleness is just as valid in your relationship status as married is, marriage is. You're not less and you're not unimportant. You're vital. Singleness is a blessing from God. Just as much as marriage is a blessing, your season of singleness is too. And might I add, to those of you that are married, please stop. And I say it with please, but I say it in its affirmative. Please stop prodding, teasing, questioning, or even making fun of your single friends. Whether they tell you or not, it hurts. It's not fun to receive that. And to have that come at them all the time. Now, of course, if conversations come up mutually, enjoy the conversation with your single friend. But usually it's, it's a, the other way around where it's just, it seems as if the only way you relate to your single friend is by their singleness. But we have to understand that singleness is not your identity. Neither is marriage your identity. Your identity is by, by faith in Jesus Christ. You are a follower of him. Understand something, you have to be careful not to make your status in life your identity. The most important critical relationship in life is not with someone else, but rather with God, learning to abide in Christ. And that relationship must be solid first before you'll ever have a right relationship with another man or another woman. Singleness is a gift from God, a place and a position of great importance. Notice with me in chapter 7, verse 7, it says, For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. Now, when we think of spiritual gifts, we immediately think of Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians chapter 4, but now this gift of singleness or singleness is mentioned as a gift. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Based on the people that I speak to, singleness for many is one of those gifts that most people don't want. They don't want. And yet singleness is a privileged place for anyone in that season today. So here in chapter 7, we're going to go back up to verse 1. Paul the Apostle in writing to the church in Corinth is going to tackle the topic of singleness. And it's in its entirety. We're not going to cover the chapter today because we simply don't have time. But I have taught through verse by verse through 1 Corinthians 7. Those studies are available up on the app or on our website that you can listen to in depth as we break down these verses. We will have some selected passages here in this chapter. But I do want to address verses 1 and 2 in a moment. In chapter 6 now, you have 
Paul dealing with sexual immorality. They had some questions. Because sexual immorality was so rampant and popular, even celebrated, marriage was being undermined. And a lot of confusion over the value of singleness and the place of singleness in the church, the value of marriage, the power of self-control was all being mixed together. Now, when we think of the letter here in the Bible, and I think it's true for any part of the Bible, but let's just take Corinthians for a second here. You know, we're separated by a couple thousand years of time. So culturally, things are radically different than they were in the first century. This particular letter in the Bible was written in the first century, in the first hundred years. There's debate whether it was in the 60s or the 50s uh, in uh, the first century. But you know, whenever it was written, we've got a couple thousand years separating us. However, you'd be surprised, even though a couple thousand years had passed, how similar the culture was to what we have today. So you think, oh, you know, I'm reading the Bible, and how does it relate to me? Oh my goodness, anybody that ever says that has never read the Bible. Like the Bible is incredibly relevant for today. And, and notice, there's some things, if you're taking notes, I want you to know that were happening then, that are happening now, that muddy the water when it comes to singleness. Number one, marriage was not clearly defined in the first century Rome. Marriage was not clearly defined. There were all sorts of arrangements that were referred to as marriage, living together, forced relationship, homosexual relationships, marriages by sale, uh, Roman ceremonies. I mean, there was so much going on. Like today, like if you were to mention the, na- the word marriage in the first century, they wouldn't exactly know what you're talking about. And today it's very similar. If you talk about marriage, you've got to be very careful in defining what you mean. Even sometimes if you say biblical marriage, you still have to define what you mean. I mean, we're at the point right now where the definition of marriage needs to include one biological male with one biological female for one life created in the image of God. Otherwise, it'll be all mixed up even in our culture. Number two, during the first century, singleness was either devalued or seen as something super spiritual. There was this strong belief among some that if you really wanted to be spiritual, then you should remain single forever. You should remain celibate forever. Actually, actually this view is still with us today. It is a false view. A false view, it's something that religions, the religions of man impose upon leaders even today. You'd be familiar with it, those of you that are familiar with the religious system known as Roman Catholicism. This man-made, unbiblical system of religion that imposes upon their priesthood a false vow of celibacy. And geez, just open your eyes and see what it does and the kind of sin that it creates. It's horrific. It's not biblical. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4, The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And then check this out. This is verse 3 of uh, 1 Timothy 4. It says, forbidding to marry. That will be a part of a religious system, forbidding to marry. And it's not from the Lord. Singleness is good. And is glorious, but forbidding to marry is not good and not biblical. Number three, another thing that was happening then that's happening now was a strong humanistic feminist stream of thinking. It was in Rome, it was in Corinth, and it's here with us today. 
Women were leaving their God-given design to assert themselves in ways that were detrimental to their God-defined relationships. They simply refused to marry and refused to bear children, and thus marriage was undermined by both men and women, and women were getting together with women and asserting. It was just, it was this sense of rebellion, not just among men, but also among women. And then fourth, sexual immorality and sin was very popular and very approved. And I mean, to me, that, that, that phrase could be the banner over our, I mean, if we looked right now, if we pulled out our phones and um, put some popular website, that would be it. Sexual immorality is the way to go. Just do whatever you want. There are no, there are no limits. The culture was primarily then and now and any quote-unquote anything goes society. So men went from woman to woman with a high divorce rate. Records from then show that some within Roman Empire recorded as having as many as 28 divorces. 28 divorces. Even among the Jews and the religious Jewish people, they got caught up in culture. They had different schools of thought as it related to divorce and commitment, where some rabbis said, yeah, you can divorce your wife for any reason. And other rabbis would say, no, you don't do that at all, what the Bible says. And doesn't that sound like the pulpit today? Among churches today, it's the same thing. It's unfortunate, but you could have somebody stand behind a pulpit like this, call themselves a church, and propagate and teach things that are absolutely not from the Bible, where you would sit there and go, man, has that guy ever opened their Bible? Like, that is not, like, with one verse, with one simple verse in the Bible, you're like, are you serious? Open your Bible and read it. Don't let culture define for you how to live. Be defined by the Bible. So, with that in mind, we come to chapter 7, verse 1, and this is what Paul writes to that culture and our culture, the Holy Spirit today. Now concerning the things of which I, you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. So that's an interesting phraseology. Sometimes in the Old King James and the New King James, the phraseology doesn't quite capture the original language, the Greek language of the New Testament. So let me read it to you from the New Living Translation because I think they do a better job. Here's what it says in the NLT. Now, the, about the questions that you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to live a celibate life. But because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. So we learn a few things about singleness in this section that I want to give to you. Number one, number one, we learn that celibacy, or you could say singleness, is okay. It is okay. You are in a good position if you are single today. It is okay to be single. Or you could say it this way, there's nothing wrong with singleness. It's not a commandment. There's no commandment to say you must remain single, but it is okay if you are. It's okay and proper and right if it, in your singleness you remain sexually pure. And that should be relieving to you that are singles, especially those of you who believe that singleness is where God has you or you look back and where God has had you for a while. Because here's what happens. You know, the difficulty is, is that in your station in life, you're like, I, I don't like this. I don't want this. And you become impatient. And so the word is, don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. So use it for the glory of God. Because there is that pressure sometimes to get married. 
Because everyone has an opinion. Everybody has an opinion about your life. It seems like everyone has the opinion, more opinions about your life than they have about their own life. So everybody has an opinion about your singleness. But I want you to know this. Even though we all have an opinion about your singleness, only God's opinion matters. And God's opinion for you right now is it's okay for you to be single. That is a good, privileged place for you. It's okay. Number two, notice in verse two, it says, nevertheless, or back in the NLT, but because. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality. So number two, we, we're, we learn here that singleness is okay, but there is temptation. As a single person, you have a heightened sensitivity to sexual temptation. Because you don't have marriage as the God-given outlet for those desires. Everyone can't be single because the desire can become so strong. The temptation towards sexual sin can be strong that marriage is the way out. So, number one, we learn it's okay to be single. Number two, we learn it's okay to marry. That is a proper direction for life. No one should ever attempt a way of life that deliberately places her, he or she into the line of temptation. Like nobody should ever purposely live their life and go, well, you know what? Uh, some, some pastor told me one day that I have to be single the rest of my life. They prophesied over my life or whatever. And so there you are now listening to man and then put yourself in a position where temptation is so bad that you're just living in sin all the time. That's not wise. I mean, a more practical way of looking at that would be something like this. You know, you've been delivered from a life of addiction. Uh, you were a drunkard, a drug abuser, or whatever. And you're like, you know what? I'm saved. I got saved last week. And I'm going to go back to the bar and share the gospel with all my friends. That's probably not a wise idea. It's probably not time for you to go back to the bar. For some of you, you'll never be able to go back to the bar. Because it's such a heightened level of temptation for you. So we learn in, in 1 Corinthians 7 that Paul says, it's okay to be single. And it's okay to marry. Sexual sin and temptation can be so hard that properly committing to marriage can be a good decision. Notice verse 8 again. He says in chapter 7, But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. Paul knew singleness was good for him. Paul knew that. He lived it out. Singleness became a tool in his life where he took the gospel. He was a church planner. He traveled a lot. He says, you know, I wish everyone could enjoy the kind of life that I have for the gospel. He doesn't use it like, you know, you don't like your marriage, get out of it. And he doesn't use it like, you know, use it for your own personal selfishness. No, he says, when it comes to my relationship with God, singleness has been very good for me. And I wish you all could experience it. But, verse 9, if you can't exercise self-control then let them marry because it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul knew singleness was good for him, but he also knew it wasn't good for everyone. It wasn't good for everyone. Now, let me just say at this passage of scripture, as a pastor, I have met over the years, many men and women that have used these verses as the foundation of their quickie marriage. And you'll talk to them and they'll go, well, you know, we were just burning with passion, burning with passion. We had to get married. Sometimes I've even met those that would use this as a foundation for marriage and then and completely neglect premarital counseling. 
Or even more so, you, you have a couple that's in the midst of premarital counseling, and usually, this is not exclusive, but I just want to give you the word so you can be warned, usually it's the guy that says, no, 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 we can't make it, can't handle it, we don't need premarital, I love you, let's just go get married, instead of exercising self-control. Listen, if you can exercise self-control, I'm sure you can do it for three or four or five more months, men primarily, but some of you ladies as well, you exercise self-control, go through premarital counseling, and you know what you may find out? You may find out in premarital counseling, you shouldn't get married at all. Nobody wants to hear that. It's like, well, no. I, I, no, premarital counseling could reveal things to you that you're not as compatible as you think you are because you're caught up in emotion and you're caught up in liking each other and, and the newness of relationship. And then you, you factor in this burning with passion and you go, well, Ed, it says right here, I can get married if I burn with passion. Yeah, but that's not the highest level. That's not the highest level. It is an outlet and a consideration. But whenever this verse comes up in your life or your conversation, would you please consult someone that can talk to you about it and talk you through it? Thanks for listening to Abounding Grace and a message geared for our single listeners. It's part of Pastor Ed Taylor's series, Family Matters. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, turn to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or you can listen through our app, too. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. We're also on Apple Podcasts. Pastor Ed, singles are often bombarded with questions like, Why aren't you married yet? What are you waiting for? And it can leave them feeling like they should be out there frantically searching for a mate. What counsel would you give to the married on how they might encourage a single instead of discourage them? Yeah, you know, Larry, that's true. Singles do get a stigma attached to them for some reason that singleness is not where God wants them. Um, singleness is exactly where God wants you. If you're single right now, in this very second that you're listening to me, it is God's will for your life. And if you're single tomorrow, it's God's will for your life tomorrow. And it's important that you, as we learn in our study, it's important that you embrace that role and use it for the glory of God. But it's okay. You are exactly, it is okay to be single. It is okay. And you matter to God. Now to the question, Larry, what can I tell married couples? Lay off. Stop making fun of them. Stop making singleness the big point in their lives. Um, now they certainly can give you permission, you know, in that relationship, you may have permission to talk about it, but don't talk about it all the time. Don't joke about it all the time. Don't make fun of them. And if you do, um, repent, ask them for their forgiveness. Um, don't make singleness or marriage, um, the issue, uh, the, the whole part of your relationship. A single person is fully in the will of God as much as a married person is fully in the will of God. There is no difference. And I would just say, pray for them, encourage them, ask them open-ended questions. Maybe they want to talk about it. Maybe they don't want to talk about it. Maybe it's hard for them right now. Maybe it's not hard for them right now. But like any other relationship, enter in carefully, enter in prayerfully, respect them for who they are, love them. Uh, I was a singles pastor for almost three years in Southern California. Of course, I get to minister to many singles in the fellowship here at Calvary and 
I love you singles. I love what you contribute to the body of Christ. I love your passion and commitment to the Lord. And if marriage is in your future, marriage is in your future. And if singleness is in your future, then singleness is what God has for you. And we love you no matter your status in life because you are created in the image of God and we appreciate serving alongside of you. Some good wisdom there. Thanks, Ed. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Suffering is Never for Nothing by Elizabeth Elliot. Maybe you never realized this before, but there is a link between suffering and love. God's love for us is evidenced in the sending of Jesus to carry our sins on the cross. He faced the ultimate pain of suffering, but through it all, won the victory on our behalf. This truth has led Elizabeth to say, whatever is in the cup that God is offering me, whether it be pain and sorrow and suffering and grief, along with the many more joys, I'm willing to take it because I trust Him, because suffering is never for nothing. Request a copy today by calling 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it through our e-store at calvaryco.store. You know, your generosity helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. We're constantly hearing from listeners that have been helped and are growing by God's abounding grace. Thank you for standing with us. Making a donation to the ministry is easier than ever through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We'll finish our message, Singles Matter, tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Ed Taylor. Invite a single friend to listen and be encouraged. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.